Welcome to Chelsea in the Meadow. I'm your host, Chelsea, and I'll be joined by my occasional co-star, my sweet grandmother, Mimi. We've spent many of our days tending to our plants and animals on East Meadow Farm, but now we are embarking on a new project, the Chelsea in the Meadow podcast. We started this podcast to help guide you through the process of maintaining your own home garden. On our show, we truly believe that everyone can grow, and we want to help you, the listeners, be successful by sharing what we've learned from our experiences as longtime horticulturalists. Join us each week for tips on how to attain the garden of your dreams. This week, we begin with our meadow update, then jump back into beginning your first garden, part two. We explain the different degrees of sun and shade, planting zones and their significance, and making sure your garden location is in close proximity to your house and a water supply. Listen on for this week's tips and tricks about garden placement. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Chelsea in the Meadow. This week, we're going to start off again with our five-minute meadow update. So this week, I pulled turnips with my mom. Our turnips that we planted, I think, at the end of August-ish were ready. They were the size of like a tennis ball, so it was time for them to come out of the earth and go into our kitchen, and we've been eating them all week. All the ones that didn't go into pickling have been going in our fresh eating salads or cooked in stir fries and just delicious. (laughs) And um, we've also been able to start mowing and cleaning up our grass a little bit. Our mower had some issues a couple weeks ago, so it's nice to be able to have that clean cut look again. And I've also been adding compost still and um, helping uh, my clients' beds kind of get ready for the winter. Yeah, in my side of the garden, we've been picking lots of peppers, and we have all different color bell peppers. We have hot peppers. So we can't possibly eat them as fast as they're coming in. So we actually pickle a lot of them. And it's not a fancy process. And it's water, white vinegar, and salt. And we pack pack them into quart jars. And then once the fresh ones aren't coming in anymore, then we can pull those out, rinse them off a bit or shake off the vinegar and cut them up for salad. They stay nice and crunchy and hopefully it'll get us through till the first of the year. We've also picked a few apples out of our apple orchard. We have a young orchard, as we've told you before, so we haven't gotten a ton of apples yet, but we have fun watching them grow. Most of them are running around eight, they're either eight feet tall or they're a baby. (laughs) And so they're all coming along fine, and we just try to make them safe and ready to go into the winter. The other things in the garden that we've been picking is we always grow a fall crop of lettuce. Um, It's nice to have it back because it's really hard to grow it in the heat of the summer and our salads are one of our favorite things at dinner. Um, We also have Swiss chard still going. We think the reason it's still going so beautifully is we grew it under an insect netting. 
this year. So it protected them from all the insects that usually gobble up. Right now, what I've been seeing on them is some of the small birds like sparrows and things like that that are having a munch or two before they go. And again, we're still picking green beans. Most of them right now are slowing down a little bit, and most of them we're using for fresh eating. We filled our freezers with the earlier ones. Yeah, I think so much of the process of gardening is also a little bit of kitchen work. (laughs) Pickling peppers, pickling cucumbers, pickling green beans. We do a lot of pickling here, but it also has become one of my favorite ways to eat food. I love pickled vegetables now and fermented vegetables. And it just um, is a way for us to keep these beautiful greens, beautiful foods that we have worked so hard to grow all summer and keep them through the winter and get to enjoy them in another delicious way. So, yeah. And one of the fun things about it is it's become a family project. Chelsea's grandfather is in charge of all the pickles. So he waits patiently for that cucumber crop to start, and then he'll put up as many cucumbers as we can. He does sweet ones, dill ones, half sours, and everybody lines up waiting for those pickles to be ready. And we've all, like I said, we've done um, peppers and Chelsea's family has also done the turnips, which we d- both families do different things and then we share back and forth. So no, nobody has to do everything. So, and it works out great that way, but everybody's participating in whatever level they're happy to participate at. Absolutely. And I think it allows for us to kind of share the work a little bit because Papa will make Papa's pickles, which is so yummy. And we make the dilly beans over here and get to trade jars and make everyone be able to um, help uh, in ways that like not everyone can be outside working in the garden. So we distribute the work so that way not a single person has to do everything which I think is the best way to do it, you know. And and it makes everyone feel included because we all feel satisfied with our part of whatever we've done. Absolutely. Ah. So this week we're going to start off with a shout out to our listener, Neil, for writing to us. We absolutely loved the comments. We love hearing from you guys. It makes us so happy to see you guys listening. Um, And it also allows us to tailor our episodes towards you because that's who we're making these for. We want you guys to uh, be learning. We want to share what we know. And so when you guys tell us um, something specific, something that you would love to hear more about, we'd be so – we want – that to happen. We want to make our episodes for you guys. So this week, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some of what we talked about last week. And um, so we're going to kick off this episode with talking about sun versus shade. And we want to begin with talking about finding the cardinal directions of which way your house faces. And I love the way Mimi tells um, stories about this. This is what she used to tell her customers. So I think you guys should hear it too. I'm always surprised that people aren't quite aware of where the sun is in their life. So they would come and say, but I don't know which direction it is. So my comment was, is the sun shining on you in your kitchen when you're making breakfast? 
And if they said, oh, yes, and I'd say, then that's the east side of your house. So then you would take a quarter turn to the right, and that would be the south side of your house, and another quarter turn would put you on the west. And if you're putting in a garden, you want your garden to run from east to west to take full advantage of as much sun as possible. Absolutely. And always putting your gardens, if possible, on the south facing side. So that way it's getting as much sun. You know, we're in the northeast. Sun is what we're looking for. (laughs) So we always try and put our gardens in the sunniest area, which would be the south facing side. And it really depends on where you are in the world to kind of figure that out. But um, here in New England, that's the way we tend to put our gardens. And we also want to hit on um, degrees of sun and shade. So again, we're here in an area where we don't get super hot. Most of our, you know, our season is maybe six months long-ish. So we try to put things in that um, are going to be in full sun, that want to be in full sun in the sunniest spot. but not every plant likes it that way. So some plants want some shade, like leaves, uh, trees, tree shade. So trees blowing in the wind allows for some sunlight to peek through. And then also there's shade created by houses that would cause less um, sunlight to get through. It's more permanent shade versus shade that might allow some twinkling. Do you want to add some, Meme? Uh, no, I think that's right. And um, if you've, it all depends on the location you've selected for your garden. And then once you've selected it, then you can watch it and watch it and see exactly how much sun you have, how much shade you have, when does the sun arrive in the day, when does the sun set. Um, Like at our house, our garden is in full sun, but usually by four o'clock, even on the hottest days, the trees that are quite far away from it to the east start casting a shadow. And in the hot part of the summer when we're running in the low 90s, most things are pretty grateful to have have some shade at that time of day. You see everybody kind of perk up and and um, get ready to have the end of the day, which is kind of, like I said, it makes them feel better. They aren't cooking out there all the time. So, But you want to watch your location. If you're trying to put a bed around your house that's going to be more decorative and not so many vegetables, sometimes one end of it will be much shadier than the other end that's much sunnier. And then what you do is you choose the plants for which end you is is going to have the correct amount of sun. So you'd have sort of partial shade plants on your shadier end and you'd have full sun plants on your on your full sun end. So but those choices are up to you as you go, but you just kind of have to match the plants with the amount of sun that you have. We always on the tags in our garden nursery put the amount of sun they require. It will usually say full sun to part part sun, and which means it'll take five hours or 
you know, a certain amount of the day in full sun, but then it's grateful to have a break in the rest of the time. So at that point, you start matching everything up. You say, okay, or you try it. And if this year it doesn't do great, then you go, ooh, I guess he needs a little more sun at the other end. So part of it is a trial and error till you decide that they've really performing the way you want. Absolutely. And I think it's also important for us to note that if you live in a really sunny climate and what you have is full sun, your plants might like a little bit more shade. So finding an area that in the middle of the day, during the hottest parts of the day, you get some shade. So at high noon, maybe it casts a shadow over your garden. There's a tree in the way that allows for the plants to have a little bit of a break and they might like morning sun and afternoon sun but because you live somewhere that you know the full sun is too hot it likes the break right in the middle of the day so yeah and I guess that kind of moves us into zones and knowing your planting zones um Meme do you want to explain a little bit about planting zones um planting zones are Different areas are selected. You can find it online. Um, you come, you say, what is my planting zone? And you type in your address and it'll pop up and tell you. Our planting zone here is a 6A, Chelsea. Right. And what that refers to is your lowest temperature you'll get and right. your yeah. highest temperature you'll get. So for us, usually our lowest temperature is running around 10 plus 10 degrees and our highest temperature is running you know close to 100 i would imagine because we yeah. do hit it occasionally not often but if you live further south you're going to have a different degree temperature range and if you live further north and um Chelsea's going to tell you because there are so many zones. So, but it's super easy to find online. Just punch your, your address in and your zone in. I mean, I'm sorry, your zip code in. We'll get it right. And your zip code in and up will come what your planting zone is. Absolutely. Yeah. So it really um, ranges from 1 to 13. I think here in the United States, um, the Pretty much lowest zone that we get is around two, and it might be a little bit different in Alaska. It might even get to one, um, but the highest that we go in the United States is up to pretty much 11, um, 10 or 11, right around there. Um, but the whole range goes from one to 13. So in, you know, here in Connecticut, in our area of Connecticut, we are a 6A and it really determines like how hardy our plants are going to get. They won't live beyond, you know, as low as like zero. You know, if we spend too many weeks at too cold, then these plants will die. And if they spend too many weeks at way hotter than we can stand, then they're not going to do well either. So that's kind of what it, um, how, how it affects you in your growing. And it also kind of determines your, the length of your growing season. Um, so it's important to kind of know what zone you are before you put and choose your plants for your garden. Usually if you're shopping at, uh, 
local to you, independent garden center, pretty much everything they have for you will fit your zone. You can always ask, but it's very unlikely that they're going to put things in the zone in their store that's the wrong zone for their area. Right, right. I think like the only exception would be for like house plants, you know, and often they say like, oh, that would be a house plant. So then, you know, oh, during the wintertime that would not survive <laughs> out in our climate. So it would need to come in for the wintertime. But then maybe during the summertime, it could spend some hours in the sunlight outside, but probably not direct sun because indoor sun versus outdoor sun is very different. And you could burn your leaves and plant. It might recover after being outside in full sun, but initially it would probably burn the leaves. So so be a little careful because pretty soon your houses will look like ours. We've just <laughs> brought in all our plants getting ready for the cold weather. And by the time you start bringing in lime trees and lemon trees and fig trees and bay trees, there's not a lot of room left to get through for these next few months. Every year we go, we need a winterized greenhouse. The trouble is they're very expensive to run. So in the house they come and they take up every sunny window. So, but everybody's in right now and everybody's tucked in safe and sound. So, and our night temperatures this week are going down into the low fifties, which is usually a cutoff for someone who is an indoor or a more tropical plant, 50 degrees, like our limes and lemons can't be outside lower than 50. So yeah, so your house will look like ours. It'll look like a jungle. (laughs) (laughs) Which can be nice for the winter months when it gets so cold and so dreary outside and everything looks tired and asleep and you're waiting for them to reawake in the spring. At least you have a little bit of greenery inside. I'm always grateful. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, and you can find your zones, like Mimi said, just by Googling it and just also a little bit just knowing how cold you get and how warm you get and how long you're that cold or that warm too. Yeah. And I think um, one thing we also wanted to mention that we, I'm not sure if we mentioned it last episode, but when you're choosing your location for your garden, if it is doable for you to put your garden closer to your house, it allows you to keep eyes on it and pass by it a lot more. And you'll be able to find out when it needs to be tended. You'll be checking for watering. You'll pass by and pull a weed or two. And it isn't, it makes it much less of a project if you don't have to walk too far. So hopefully you'll be able to find a place that's close enough for you. I, you know, ours are a little bit away from our house. Um, not terrible from my side, probably a hundred feet, but it still means you got to remember your tools when you walk down. You don't want to get down there and have to walk home 10 times to get what you need. So, um, yeah, so closer to you just to be handy, especially while you're getting to, um, understand how much care is required. Right, right. Because gardens, I mean, they can change in a day. All of a sudden, you have a weed that you didn't realize was there, and now it's growing right in the middle of your lettuce row. And things can dry out during the day. Um, We would check water at the botanical garden morning and then right after lunch, too, because from the morning 
it could, if you didn't water it enough or if you chose not to water it by noon, it could be dried out. So checking in that high sun, um, high noon again, just to like make sure that um, it's okay for the afternoon because by the time that it gets later in the day, you're not going to want to water because you don't want the plants to sit in water overnight. That's when you allow disease to come in because the night temperatures drop cool enough, but also warm enough for disease and molds to get inside the plant. So if it's wet through the night, it's not ideal for your plants. We always used to say never water after two. So we used to set two o'clock as the time to give it one last look through. And if it needs water at that point, it still has time to dry. I used to say before it goes to bed. So you just don't want wet foliage going into the night. And um, and watering first thing in the morning, of course, allows them lots of time. But sometimes they look damp from the night and you tend to say, oh, I think it looks okay. And then the summer sun comes on it and quickly, sometimes by 10 o'clock, it's telling you, oh, yeah, yeah, you should be watering me. So, so yeah, so watering requires you just to keep an eye on it. We'd like to tell you that there's an absolute day that you do it, like I'm going to do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but it's never so easy as that. It's a daily watch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so you might be asking yourself right about now, how much water do you need? And it really depends on the plant. Some plants like wet feet. Some plants really like to be dry. And um, on again, on the plant tag, it really should tell you. And if it doesn't, you can always look it up. Um, there's a lot of information out there on whether plants, what are their happiest conditions. Um, on average, you need roughly an inch a week. But this summer, as Mimi knows, we had so much rain and our plants actually did okay with it. We had some fungus come in on some of the more ornamental things like our zinnias and things like that. But our squashes and watermelons loved it. We've had beautiful squash that are in all packed up for the winter. And the watermelons are still coming in. And we were so excited because we never really thought you could grow a good watermelon in New England. But our best one weighed 22 pounds. And now we know you just keep a constant drip of water going on those we had 11 and a half inches of rain in the month of July. July when it should have been hot and sunny and it was not it was so wet you never took your boots off all summer long yeah you were shocked when the sun did come out <laughs> honestly uh, so yeah we to be honest usually think it's better to underwater your plants because once you put the water on you can't take it off so it's easier to you know add a little bit more throughout the day and rather wait for it to dry out get some dryness through it you know kills off that disease and then water thoroughly after and usually you know it's you water one day you take a day off. Maybe it needs a couple days off and then you check it again. It might be ready for some water. Sometimes it's that day. Sometimes you water in the morning and oh my goodness, it's such a hot day. You just spray them over just to cool them down. So it really, it, it all depends and it really helps to have your garden close to you so that way you can keep an eye on it. 
Um, and one of the things is it depends on how well your soil drains. If your soil's sandy and the water's pouring through it every time you water, you're going to be watering more. If your soil has clay in it, um, it won't need watering half so much. And I used to explain to folks when they wanted to know how to do it, I would say, before you water, either take your finger or take a tool and scratch down. You want the surface of the soil to look dry, but when you scratch down, if it looks dark an inch down, then don't water. If it looks dry an inch down, then spend a little time watering. And it's helpful if you add mulch to your soil. I think a lot of people go back and forth. Some people don't like when the wood chips mix into the soil. Some people prefer other types of mulches. Some people just like the look of bare soil. But when you look out in nature, rarely do you see soil that isn't covered with some sort of plant life. Naturally, soil prefers to have some sort of covering, whether it be leaves that have fallen onto the ground, ferns during the in the middle of the woods, or grass, or just different types of weeds. It wants to be covered so that way it can retain moisture and hold it in. Over time, these plants are going to add more material to um, the soil, meaning like organic matter. So we pretty much always mulch our gardens. We get um, piles of wood chips um, come in and we distribute that all over the place pretty much. And if it's not some sort of um, wood chip mulch, we'll use leaf mulch sometimes. And I think occasionally we'll use straw the trouble with straws, it can bring in seedlings. So we, I love the look of straw. I love how handy it is to use. Um, but quite often it, you can get grass in it. And um, so then you've got a battle on your hands. So I think wood chips are the way to go. And um, the person who loves wood chips is worms. There's never a soil that has as many worms in it as the soil that has wood chips on top. And I think it's because the soil stays cool and the soil stays moist. And that's exactly what your worms are looking for. And that's more of them you see, the happier you'll be. Yeah, worms and mycorrhizal. So, and that's also, um, it's a type of fungus that grows on wood chips and it works as a in a symbiotic relationship with um trees is often what it relates to often where you see it come into play it works with um tree roots and will attach to them and break down um, nutrients that are in the soil that allow the tree to absorb it even better. And um, so we often want that to be working with our plants too. So it can help feed our plants and give it nutrients that it might struggle with getting on its own. So that's also why we really like using wood chips. 
And you're right, it's one of those things you don't want to leave out because the microbial action is what's keeping your garden going. And it is what's breaking down all the minerals and the things that aren't available to a plant on its own. The microbial action is what breaks those down, like Chelsea said, and allows your plants to absorb them. So you can put a lot of fertilizer on your garden, but if you don't have the microbial action in there and the microbes working, um, the fertilizer isn't going to necessarily get to the plants yeah and next week we're gonna take a deeper dive into soil and we'll hit these um, points kind of on a further level talk about how you can find out more about your own soil using soil tests and talk a little bit about our own soil tests and kind of what it revealed for us so definitely listen next week if you've been interested in what we've been saying about our soil and um, the last thing that I did want to know about um, our water is we did implement this summer a drip irrigation system and we didn't end up using it that much because of the rain. It was kind of we put it in and then, of course, we got a summer full of rain. It was like the summer before we didn't have any water. We we're constantly watering. It was like a drought summer. And then this summer, of course, was the summer of rain. So we didn't use our drip irrigation that much, but when we did use it, we were grateful for it. Um, you had done Mimi a test with um, a pan to test. Well, what each of the tubes that you lay down through the garden and we went row by row into the garden center where the plants are planted directly in the soil. The raised beds did not get a watering system, just the plants in the actual soil, ground soil. Um, So each row gets a tube that goes down and it's held in by some clips. And then you turn the water on and it has a pressure regulator that sends the water through every tube. But we wanted to see how long it took to put that inch of water on our bed. So we found a place part partly down, not the first tube, not the last tube, but sort of in the middle. And we took a pan that was deep enough and we rusted the hose across it. And then we timed it until it got and it it dropped an inch of water into the pan. And it was about a two hour run. So we knew from then on, if we wanted to put the uh, an inch of water on the garden, that we would just, it has a timer with it. We would just set the timer for two hours. And then you didn't have to think about it and you didn't have to stand. And when you went down, the soil on the surface looked dry. But if you dug a little bit around their root system, all that soil was dark and moist and just how you would want it, but we hadn't, it doesn't spray all over the surface soil. So it did exactly what we wanted. I don't think the system was terribly expensive. And if you have a big garden, it's definitely a good way to think about going. Yeah. And I think I wanted to mention it because so many of our listeners might not be able to be home all day and pay attention to their gardens all day. So knowing um, from maybe weekend activity, paying, being able to pay attention to your garden during that time, you'd know when your garden tends to dry out, when it kind of needs water, and then you can adjust the timer of the system to uh, send water to your plants when they need it and then only allow it to, you know, uh, water for a certain amount of time so that way you don't overwater your garden. 
That's yeah. that's the way. It's all about controlling it. Sometimes people have a lawn company in and they'll set a timing system for their lawn and it doesn't some of them don't plan for the rain. So you'll see a watering system going with it raining out and that's not helping anybody. It's not helping the lawn. It's not helping your water bill. It's not helping anything. So you want to still really maintain control of your watering system yourself and not like preset it for an entire week or anything like that. You really have to think about it. And you can say, well, I ran it yesterday. I can wait two days probably before I run it again. So you'll work it out. It's just a matter of getting used to the soil you have and how many plants are in it that are drinking up the water. So it's all very um, interesting individual for each particular garden. Yeah, I think it gardening itself is something that you know, these plants are alive. They're living creatures. You have to pay attention to them just like you would a dog or a cat, some sort of pet, a fish, you know, even a, a human. It, they need food. That's why you got to make sure there's fertilizer for them. You, They need water, so you have to make sure you're watering, but you don't want to water them all day. You don't expect an animal to drink all day long or a human to drink all day long, so you don't want to drown out your plants. You, They need care that is paying attention to them. They don't, you don't just brush them off just because they can't move or talk doesn't mean that they're not alive. So treating them as living things and things that we love, that's how you get the production out of them. You know, that's how we get the thousands of zucchinis that we got this summer. That was something that we definitely didn't expect, but it was probably one of our most prolific parts of our garden. <laughs> Luckily, we found out and discovered you can freeze them. So now we have them in our freezer and they work really well if you add them to soups and stews. And believe it or not, they aren't even mushy. They taste just fine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we were like, what will we do with these? Apparently, you're supposed to have like two zucchini for a family family of five and we more like had 12 zucchinis for us and zucchini everywhere every day but we all loved it too I mean it really did the trick so yep Mm -hmm. so every year is a little bit of an adventure as you figure out the details but every year varies with the weather and the water and the temperature and like last year we had much more heat this year we didn't have much heat at all. So, and yet everybody worked it out. So, yeah, yep. yeah, they do adjust with the with the craziness of the weather and the unpredictability of it all. And that's, I guess, part of the fun too. <laughs> so, thank you everyone for listening this week. And um, I guess we'll close this off. And we are excited for next week. Again, we'll be talking about soil. So we'll be happy to have you guys join us and I hope you all have a really great week. (laughs) Bye everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button and the little bell so that you are the first to know when we've released a new episode. Feel free to tell your friends or anyone that might like to listen. Another great way to support us is by rating us on the Apple Podcast app. This allows other listeners to find us more easily so they can check us out for themselves. Lastly, we want to thank those of you that have decided to donate to the podcast. It allows for us to pay for our equipment and software so that way we can continue to make the content that you all love. 
If you can and would like to support us in that way, there are links on our website, eastmeadoworchard.com, and also in the bio of our Instagram page, at Chelsea in the Meadow. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. This show was brought to you by Red Circle. It was edited by Chelsea Brass. Our master engineer was Ben Brass. And a special thanks to Barbara Dombrowski, Kristen Braz, and East Meadow Farm and Orchard for helping us make this possible.